Hello and happy holidays, heads. We are so happy that you're joining us for another episode of Working Man's Pod. Today we have Zach Cropper calling us back to discuss all things 1972 and The Grateful Dead. You may remember that we had Zach on a few months ago to talk about the Europe 72 tour because on his podcast, Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper, Zach has dove deep on Europe 72 and 1972 in general. This year, he listened to all 86 shows from 1972 and shared with us his thoughts on that year in Grateful Dead history. Before we get into that with Zach, though, I do want to share a quick clip that Dave and I cut from our interview with Justin Kreutzmann. Dave asked him about what 1972 meant to him um, as you know, he was very, very young during that tour, but he asked for any thoughts that Justin had about 1972. And this is what Justin had to say. Our next project is looking at uh, the 50th anniversary of 1972 as a whole. And what we just want to know if, if you have any thoughts about it, uh, what does the music from the year 72 with, you know, Europe 72 and the great fall 72 tours uh, mean to you? I mean, you wouldn't have been that that old like too right but you know, yeah, when, I, I got, when I, you I, look back on it i mean what does that music mean to you or to your dad or to the band or your mom yeah she was i would yeah your mom she went was on, on that tour, tour right yeah yeah she was on that tour uh, also I, I, dad dad's big claim to fame on that tour was that he didn't do cocaine because he wanted the tempos to be better um <laughs> right. like that's all that's his that's his that's the memory i've ever gotten up from europe 72 um that's actually interesting because um you know, growing up, obviously, I had all the records and sometimes I put them on. And I remember listening to, you know, it was just, you know, I had Europe 72 on, but I wasn't really paying attention. But something about the transition between China Cat and I Know You're Right are really, I was like, wow, that was really good. You know, it's like, you know, like for the first time, like I actually like, get, like I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's like, you know, I, it's right up there with my Beatles records. Like they really did that well. And it really sounded good. It, it sounded, you know, by, by this point it was late seventies. So it sounded different enough that it, I wasn't just thinking it was the band that dad was in. It had its own thing, but um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I mean, it's one of the milestones. It's one of those, it's one of those tours. It's one of the ones like, like, is there, is, is there another brown eyed women that that's good? And I'm sure there's a thousand deadheads to go like, da 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 or, you know, <laughs> I just like, I just, uh, that's always, and I know they fix the vocals and I know that I know all that, but it's just, that's the one where there's something about it. I just, to me, it's, it's, it's always the best stuff from Europe 72. Justin Kreutzmann talking about Europe 72 and then just a little taste of that version of Brown Eyed Women that he was talking about from April 14th, 1972. Man, what a year it was, 1972, for the Grateful Dead. And it's been so fun celebrating the 50th anniversary this year. Thank you all so much for joining us throughout our first calendar year with the show. We have been absolutely blown away by the response and seeing some of the numbers that we've seen by the end of the year has really just been humbling and and really gratifying to know that the conversations that we're having 
are resonating with you guys. This is what we are doing this for. You know, we, we love talking about the Grateful Dead and we appreciate that you like listening to us talk about the Grateful Dead. So thank you so much for being along for the ride this year in 2022. Happy holidays, happy new year, and we will talk to you in 2023. Enjoy our interview with Zach Cropper. Let's get on with the show. All right. Well, we're joined again by Zach Cropper, the host of Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper, our favorite music podcast, um, and just a great show. Congrats on a really good year, Zach. I saw some of the stats that you posted on Spotify. One that stood out was in the top 10% of most shared shows, which is tremendous. Thank you. And thank you for having me back. Uh, you know, likewise, I love your show as well and uh, honored to be back. And I feel like it's poor podcast etiquette that I'm back here for a second time before I've had you guys. So we got to think of something for the new year. Yeah, I don't totally understand how that stat works, to be honest with you. Like, surely I'm not in the top 10 for like pure numbers. I don't know if it's like percentage of your listeners who share it or something, but Hey, take it, take it how it comes, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, if you listen, I'm sure you did listen to our first episode with Zach. That was one of our most listened to episodes. And so we're happy to have Zach back on now to talk kind of about, we talked the first time about Europe 72 and um, kind of kicked off what would be a fun two months of listening with Zach, who's now wearing a Europe 72 <laughs> uh, shirt, which is very that fitting. I grossly <laughs> overpaid for from dead.net, but... <laughs> But it's, I need to take it to the tailor as I did with the shakedown in the dead of winter jacket last year. Um, being tall and pretty thin, I always get extra large to make sure it's long enough, but it's like ballooning at the bottom. So I need him to put an elastic in it. It's also thinner than I thought. I thought like, oh, that'll be really nice for winter, but like it's only fleece on the inside. And then it's like, but whatever. Well, it'll it'll be a nice thing to wear um, in Chicago or San Francisco next summer when you're watching Dead and Co. It'll keep you keep you warm, but not too warm. Exactly. I wore it to uh, uh, the meetup at the movies for the Copenhagen show. I was like, well, nice. if you can't wear it here, where can you wear it? Yeah, true. We're having Zach on today to kind of talk holistically about the year, the 50th anniversary of 72. Zach has listened to all 86 shows and his sh- his episode ranking all 86 is coming out in a few weeks. So uh, we are going to talk about the listening experience. We're going to talk about our listening experiences with 72 and the dead. Um, Before we do, I wanted to give some background on 1972. Interesting year in cultural history. So here's what was going on in 1972. The best-selling album of the year was Harvest by Neil Young. Now, I thought this was an interesting uh, stat for you, Zach, uh, Canadian. This was the first and only one of two ever um, albums by a Canadian to be the top selling album of the year. I'm curious if you know what the second is. Wow. Uh, I'm going to guess maybe that big Shania Twain album. I forget what it's called. Very good guess. The one with um, uh, in like the mid nineties. If that's you're close. Man, I feel like a woman, right? Like that yeah. was the big song. Yeah. yeah. The the album is Jagged Little Pill. Alanis Morissette. Oh. Monster yeah. album that yeah. sold a of billion course. copies. So maybe 72 speaks to you a little bit because there's some of that Canadian DNA in the mix of that was kind of in the air that year. Well, 
<laughs> maybe although i've never been wanting to uh to give canadian content content any sort of benefit of the doubt and it's funny you know with, we were just talking about college football before i came on and i'm a buckeyes fan because my dad lived down there for 10 years when i was younger but had i been with him i probably would have ended up a fan of someone else because i always like to go against the grain of like whoever's around me so like oh, i wear Yan- i wear yankees hats around here just to bug people <laughs> like, um so where was i going with that um oh yeah so i don't know if that's why i like 72 but it, it is interesting when i was plotting out my schedule for the year and looking at like you know what albums are turning 50 it's kind of a sparse year in terms of studio releases um certainly compared to 71 last year i had 50th anniversaries of a ton of like zeppelin four sticky fingers what's going on who's next Mm -hmm. and so on uh 72 exile on main street was like the only one that i would consider like a big big deal like in my top 10 all time kind of thing yeah uh but i you know i've as i've said a few like i think it's probably it's my pick for the dead's best year live and you could make the argument that it's Zeppelin's best live year. I like 71 better, but like still at their peak. Um, and the Stones, uh, arguably their best live year. There's something in the water with the live shows. Whatever it was, whatever mm-hmm. the that like that thing was that was kind of in the mix. Well, um, and you know how on the dead cast, uh, Jesse Jarno said um, 72 was probably the peak of like worldwide LSD use. Like particularly right around when Vanita happened. Yeah, could have correlation is not causation, but I mean, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, in 1972, the top single, not a Canadian song, "American Pie" by Don McLean. Uh, so kind of going in the opposite direction. Um, both of those, both Harvest and American Pie, have stood the test of time. I think um, great reflections on the year that those were the top album and the top single. Harvest is it still holds up amazingly well and American pie is still played a ton on classic rock radio, still a really nice kind of folksy storytelling song. So, and I think until Taylor Swift's longer song came out last year or something, it was the longest by time former number one single until Taylor Swift beat it. Yeah, that's right. It almost hit 50 years, the 10 minute version of all too well, Mm -hmm. like right around a year ago this time. Wow, that's I did not know that. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, so a lot of bands formed and a lot of bands were disbanded in 1972. Some bands that were formed, ABBA, um, the E Street Band, not with Bruce Springsteen at that point, but they were formed and then they became a group together. Um, Sticks, which is earlier than I would have expected for them. Um, the Tubes with Vince Welnick, who would Vince, then yeah. later become a member of The Dead. Uh, Twisted Sister, and this one surprised me. Van Halen was also formed in 1972. That's that one is earlier than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah huh? Because ACDC formed in '73, and they, they definitely ascended quicker. Way quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, it could be a um, like Fleetwood Mac situation where Fleetwood Mac existed in like 1968, but then Stevie Nicks joined in '71, I think, or '72 and '75. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green before that, but yeah, could be, you know. Well, the first album with her came out 75, I know. Yeah, but you hear, I've heard like live Fleetwood Mac 
recordings from the early 70s and it's like this does not sound anything like because <laughs> Lindsay buckingham i don't think was in it either i think it was no like, he and stevie joined at the same time yeah so very odd um so bands that disbanded in 72 man ccr one of the great american yeah. bands um short-lived run um but a absolute powerhouse of like a you know six years for them uh jefferson airplane disbanded uh at least temporarily or in the form of the airplane at this point right. and the velvet underground formerly the warlocks mm. also in 1972 oh so go ahead i saw john fogarty in september speaking of ccr how was that it was good yeah his set list was almost entirely ccr and um he's been a i guess you could say he's a bit of a square by comparison to like most rock musicians which um actually benefits you when you're still playing in your 70s because you, you still have a good amount of your chops <laughs> and <laughs> have been practicing it <laughs> yeah that's not bad uh it's a little bit bruce hornsby-esque i've heard the same thing about him because he's never like a big drug guy although he has like some pretty bad arthritis that i've heard makes it hard for him to play as well as he once did but his, his voice still sounds great um so yeah <laughs> it's hip to be square Apparently that's what arthritis is what inhibits uh, Keith Richards playing the most these days, actually. Really? Despite the fact that he's you know tried everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> a few times. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> um all right. So other major events happening in 1972. Uh the Vietnam War effectively ended. The US withdrew its last troops. So that's a huge moment in world history. The Watergate break-in and recordings uh happened throughout that summer, although that wouldn't come to light until um, in the years that ensued, uh, the Godfather was released in March relevant to the grateful dead who then worked with Francis Ford Coppola later on in the seventies mash. The famous TV show began its run in September. It was then like the most popular show in the world for like a decade. And in the U S um, Richard Nixon defeated George McGovern for reelection which then did not last long, right. <laughs> but, um, a lot of stuff happening in, um, kind of the, in the culture in 1972 for the dead in 1972 very interesting year going into the year they had seven albums in their discography um they had the grateful dead uh anthem of the sun oxomoxoa live dead working man's american beauty and skull and roses and then depending on how you carve it up they had three that came out in 72 garcia ace and europe 72 in november of 72 uh, they played 86 live shows, as I said earlier, which makes 1972 virtually tied for their busiest touring year past 1970. Um, and amazingly, at least parts, meaning one song or more of 45 of those 86 shows have been officially released, including the entirety of the Europe tour. Um, I mean, it's crazy to think about that part, like four parts of 45 of the 86 shows one thing, Zach, that you and I were talking about in the fall was how there's like a huge gap in different periods of their life history. Um, I think fall of 70, there's like really not very much at all. Yeah, because it's right after Bear uh, got like hit for violating the probation or house arrest or whatever and got yeah. in prison. So it took him a while to fill in the gap yeah. and have somebody running the board. Mm-hmm. And then he gets out of prison in summer of 72. And so we've got, you know, all the benefit of the great recordings from Europe and earlier in the year. And then he's back in the mix um, later on in the year 
to some extent. Um, but it's amazing that these 86 shows, you can find all of them, right? I mean, there's some version or at least of part of the show for all 86, which is pretty impressive 50 years down the road. Yeah, like the first set of that uh, show in Nashville is the only significant chunk that we're missing, really. Like a, a song here or there. But, and by the way, did you know that's the last free show that they played outside of the Bay Area? No, I didn't. Hmm. Is that at, at Vanderbilt? Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. That's it, that. That is a great recording too. That show is fantastic. Speaking of uh, sound quality, do you guys notice a difference um, from like Europe when Bear's in prison to when he's back being the one doing it? Now it's a bit of an unfair comparison because Europe's multi-tracks and Vanita is the only multi-track we have with when Bear's back. But I still notice a difference. Interesting. Even between Vanita and the Europe shows. Meaning like it's more crisp, it, the bear version or not not necessarily that. I find that he uh and you know, in I don't know if you've heard the dead cast episodes that they've done about him. I they're mm-hmm. both fascinating. Uh in one of them they talk about how like he had very strong opinions about, you know, being as uh, you know, transparent of a conduit as possible and just getting out what the band heard in their head and not, you know, adding his own, like what he thinks it should sound like. Mm -hmm. So I find that his recordings, he tends to favor like a punchier, truer live sound. Um, I think you can notice it with the bass drum, especially Mm. it's a bit thumpier than whereas like the Europe recordings, amazing as they are, were done by their, at the time, like their studio crew, like Betty and Bob Matthews and stuff. Yeah. It's a bit like cleaner and less of a typical live sound. Interesting. No, that does make sense. And there's also that guy, Wiz Leonard, who recorded a lot in Europe. Um, and uh, there's that famous story that he tells about the, I think it's the show at the Lyceum where he was just like way, way, way too deep on acid and had to leave yeah. the truck. And so he was like, no one was really running the recording. I just wanted to go watch the show yeah. and then went and watched that live uh, morning do, which is amazing. <clears throat> yeah. It, I, I don't know. I think that um, it's not to me as stark of a difference, to be honest, as some of the, some of the just like recording quality difference from especially like 71 into 72. I think 72, the recordings are all just quite good. Um, it's kind of remarkable how how good it all sounds, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even if you listen to the Dave's picks from Fall 71, they sound a little like tinny by comparison mm-hmm. to, or even the 71 St. St. Louis shows in the box yeah. last year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you would need to undertake listening to all 86 shows of the year to notice something like that. But what made you decide to do that? Like what planted the seed in your head that I'm going to listen to every show this year on the 50th anniversary? So I actually listened to all 86 last year in preparation for this year. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow okay wait so hold on pause pause for a second because the last time we talked to you we were talking about the beginning of 72 and you were like i actually listened to quite a bit of fall 71 last year for the 50th anniversary so you were you were balancing listening to all of 72 and most of 71 
at the yeah. same time, plus all of the other listening that you do. Yeah, and I, tr- I did most of Fall 73 last year as well because I, at the time I wasn't like working, the podcast was my main thing. So I was just like, mm-hmm. well, if this is my thing, then I better be doing 12 hours a day on it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I had heard lots of people or seen lots of people saying, you know, Fall 73 is actually the best and like i think it was yeah you know what so last june um june 2021 i'm guessing that's when i decided to to do it um because two years ago in the first year of the show i ranked all 22 europe shows in episode two mm-hmm. and discussed vanita in episode 11 and then last year i ranked to all 12 of the versions of the other one from europe and uh, in episode 53 and then did the same for dark star in episode 54 mm-hmm. and when i shared those episodes um a lot on reddit a lot of people said like oh i think fall 73 is actually better than europe um so i was like oh, okay like where exactly should i check out and a lot of people were just like all of it so then i was like well right. touche so <laughs> like i guess i will then um and then so then as far as deciding to rank all 86 shows i knew that i had to discuss 72 this year with it being the 50th um before probably leaving it alone for a while sadly um but i wanted to up the ante with it being the big anniversary i was also very curious about what the ranking might look like as is the case with many of the rankings i undertake uh like when i ranked my top 25 albums in the summer i was just curious what my list would look like and i knew that committing to do an episode about it would force me to put in the legwork mm-hmm. um so then as it turned out i ended up doing 372 episodes between now and then uh episode 76 reviewing the st louis shows from the box uh this time last year mm-hmm. and then episode 100 this past june uh talking about europe with my other friend alex from connecticut um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then episode 108 talking about Vanita again with him. Um, but this episode has been at the back of, if not on my mind for at least 18 months now. Wow. Well, I am excited to listen to it when it comes out. There's also two more episodes that you did at least that I can think of on um, office hour uh, where you talked about stats. So even more episodes when you factor in that kind of side part of the show. Um, so really a lot of content about 73 um, over over the years. And I think that it's interesting. This next one about ranking all the episodes will be somewhat of a capstone. And then, like you said, kind of sadly having to put it to the side for a little while. Are you going to undertake anything similar with 73 or like how much of 73 do you think you'll listen to next year as, as the 50th anniversaries come around? I am going to do the same thing for 73. Nice. Um which I think um, in in some ways it'll be more challenging because I've heard fewer shows and have heard the ones that I have heard fewer times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also exciting because it'll be there'll be more newness to it, and also I'll have uh, far fewer like preconceived notions coming into it as far as like oh this one should be near the top or <laughs> yeah one. yeah. Interesting. You told us the first time we talked that one of the first songs that you tried to listen to was the Dark Star from 11, 11, 73. Uh-huh. And now you'll get to come back around to that. Actually, that funny you should Star. mention that uh, when I went down to the Buckeyes game a few weeks ago, we were driving down on 11, 11. So I 
when I, uh, you know, I played it while I was driving and um, it got to Dark Star around like 1231 in the morning <laughs> going down I-71, like trying to stay awake <laughs> with all my like espresso in me. And I finally got what makes that version one of the all time greats. It's got a really effortless like flow to it in the sense that the shifts from like one idea to the next are so organic over the whole 35 minutes you really don't notice that it's like oh we just changed and are going somewhere different like in rotterdam for instance speaking of 72 there's lots of like noticeable you know bends in the road but it's mm -hmm. not a bad thing it's just like they change ideas more aggressively but that winterland one um like if you aren't paying attention even if you are paying attention, you won't notice that you all of a sudden you blink and you're like, whoa, we're really far out there. How'd that yeah. happen? It's more subtle. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, that's exciting. I'm, uh, I'm excited to join you for parts of that. 73 is a year that I've always been intrigued by. There are some people who think, well, who say, and obviously this is subjective. So for them, they're right. That uh, 74 is the best year for eyes of the world for eyes of the world. But I think it's 73. For me, the there's there is one. Um, I think it's on Dave's or Dick's picks twenty eight, the one from like February and March of seventy three. Um, that eyes, they're just like Bill is just like really driving it. It's not like full like crazy coked out energy of Eyes of the World, but it is like a very brisk pace, and it's like to me like the perfect mix of like high tempo but enough space for that song to get kind of out there the way that I like it to. So for me, that's like something that I'm really looking forward to with 73 is to really dive in and explore how they were playing that night, night to night in, in that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that one actually come, that comes out of dark star. That's yeah. uh, the Feb 26 show in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. uh, that Feb, that week or so in February is a great stretch. Um, I listened to it like this past, like a few months ago mm -hmm. in February. Um, and uh, there were some really, insanely good playing in the bands there because i typically i think it kind of fizzled off a little bit later in 73 and into 74 like night to night exceptions notwithstanding mm -hmm. compared to the level it was at in 72 yeah um, but it was kind of an extension of late fall 72 that first part of 73 that makes sense what you said about uh, playing kind of fizzling out later into 73 and into 74, that is not the case. There's no fizzling for playing in 1972. <laughs> uh, they continue to adapt and surprise when it comes to the way that they were playing that song all throughout the year. So to me, it's like playing Dark Star, Birdsong. Those are probably like the three songs when I think back about all the listening I did this year that really stand out where it's like pretty much every version of each of those songs really shown rightly and differently uh what are the songs to you that you when you think of 72 it's like these are the songs playing in the band is a great choice for sure and uh i know one of your questions was like which ones did i think evolved the most did evolve the most throughout the year um i would put it number one in that on that front for sure because you know it starts the year as a six or seven minute thing pretty closely resembling what you hear on ace which isn't a bad thing but mm -hmm. um and then blossoming to all the way up to 31 minutes the oklahoma city one yeah um, yeah it, it, it not just like 
in the dead's history but like even other bands with long songs it's hard to think of an example of a song that balloons that quickly um dazed and confused for instance it got up to averaging you know 30 or more minutes the longest one similar to dark star with rotterdam is like 45 um but it was a very stepwise like adding different structural pieces to it to go from the six minute studio version to um, not routinely hitting 20 until like late 71 like three years after they recorded it and all that and dark star you know it starts as the two minute single and you've got a few outliers that hit 30 two years after that in 69 um, but it doesn't routinely start hitting that until 72 really and um, oddly enough it's uh, kind of a short-lived period where it was routinely that long because mm-hmm. 71 is kind of a down year for it um so yeah i would say playing uh i do think dark stars uh one of those songs for me for 72 um they they played it less than the other one by a little bit they played it 31 times i think and the other one 42 times um and there are like the best versions of the other one from the year are i would say as good as the best dark stars um you know compared to other other ones but uh the the dark stars all really feel like an event like um when uh my brother spencer and i we were talking about sergeant pepper and how um uh you know if you just look at who the lead singer is it looks like there's far more paul songs but he's like you know at this point in the beatles career when you get to a john song it really feels like a special event like oh like we're going to get something really cool here. Um, and I kind of get that sense with Dark Star in 72. Um, each one of them it, like has is kind of distinctive and like I can go through the year chronologically in my head and like picture what each one is like. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I would agree with you on Birdsong. Um, less really plays like- than the others. You know, they played it less than playing and dark star right because it was out of the mix um actually i i I think it ended up with one more than dark star actually i think it hit 32 even though the first one is um in july uh Mm -hmm. they played it like almost every night once they brought it back yeah um yeah and it's kind of like a mini dark star in a way Mm -hmm. um what's another one um what about a first set song I mean, bird song they did play in the yeah. first set and play um, too, but you know what I mean, like a a shorter, mm-hmm. punchier one. Yeah. Uh, well, box of rain in the fall. Mm. I think they're playing really well, which is no small feat because outside of that little blip of their career, it was like really never competed with the studio version. Yeah. Um, I think. Um they really had a winning combo with the, you know, opening with Bertha, me and my uncle, Mr. Charlie. Uh, mm-hmm. And they noticed cause they do it quite a few times in Europe opening with that one, two, three punch. Yeah. Um, uh, Tennessee Jed, I think. Um, and you can notice it. And this continues on through 73 and into 74 for a song. And it's a great kind of, uh, poster child for how their 
their playing evolves over that time period because in terms of running time it doesn't change that much but they seem to just continually sink deeper and deeper into it and find ways to make it more and more complex particularly in the solo yeah um, and dramatic I think there, so we talked the last time that uh, you were on about how I am lukewarm on Jed. I've really like, I've kind of come full circle on that song throughout the year. I've just been exposed to like a lot of versions that I really, really like. And it's gotten stuck in my head so many times throughout the year, but there's this thing in the fall of 72 where that part, uh, my doggy looked at me and he said, and then it comes to like that crashing halt where there are some like moments in 72 where that, big dramatic moment just like like made me like hold my breath i was like oh (laughs) Um, like keith (laughs) is like doing this like very twinkly thing and then has like a like a big hit on the keys and jerry and and billy and phil too it's just like a lot that makes it just very interesting and kind of makes you like really focus on what they're doing which is Mm -hmm. impressive to me and i find it can be kind of a useful little litmus test for how they're playing on a given night um if it's kind of a paint by numbers version it's like oh, okay it might just be an average night but one like uh, dusseldorf for instance that's super enthusiastic with and is one of those ones where bob goes like wow when they're coming yeah. back into the final <laughs> verse it's like oh mm-hmm. okay they mean business tonight yeah yeah that that's yeah that's a really good one dave what about you are there songs to you that are like quintessentially 72 or that you think when you look back on this year, you'll think back on with particular fondness. Yeah. We, I mean, we've talked about all of them and playing birdsong. I'm such a Mr. Charlie fan. So that one stands out to me, but I think more of an objective lens, both Bertha and Tennessee jet are right there competing for the bronze medal. But I think playing and burns birdsong. It's, I think those are the two from 72 that maybe their legacy was a little bit better than some others and I and playing especially. And I think that those that 72 is such an important year in part because of how those two songs endured the test of time. Yeah, I could see that. It's a shame that Pigpen didn't get to keep playing with them after Europe because mm-hmm. some of the longer Pigpen tunes that we got in Europe were really standout special moments. And I think that if if he could have performed throughout the rest of the year, we might be talking about some of those too and saying like, oh, it was so cool how they kept pushing that envelope further and making them longer as, you know, as long as they would be in the late sixties. Um, but you know, right. it's, it was not, not to be, unfortunately. I'm glad you said that. I would say good loving is a signature 72 song to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are some monster good lovings, um, especially in like kind of the middle third of Europe. Yeah, right up there with the the greats from like a year earlier, those April 71 ones like Princeton and the one on Ladies and Gentlemen. Yeah. Um, what about shows? So you listened to all of the shows. You had familiarity with all of them from mm-hmm. the preparation that you did. Were there some that shone more brightly when you listened this year um, or some that kind of faded a bit in the stock you put into them and the way that you viewed them yeah um i came up with uh and this isn't definitive and i also didn't um get to uh like recalibrating my scores yet i have to do that probably tomorrow but um i came up with 10 that improved and five that 
uh, faded, but you know, not by a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so the ones that shone more brightly, uh, March 23rd at the Academy, um, really cool set list elements there opening with China Rider. Mm. Um, it's got a good dark star. Um, the March 25th New York show, um, like I knew how cool it was set list wise with the set with Bo Diddley and having smokestack lightning and love light and all that. Um, but the performance level like backs that up as well. Like it's not just a novelty for the set list. Um, and you and I were talking on Instagram last week when I was listening to it, it almost has a feel of like a, a coronation or like a, like a blessing, like Bo Diddley's like, passing like reminding them especially and i've seen them all when he like name drops all these old rock and blues people it's like reminding them of the the musical and cultural history that they're taking up taking on the burden of like being ambassadors of as they're about to go over to europe Um, yeah i want to pause on that for a second because i love that so much when you presented that to me and like the notion of this like grand send-off that that Bo Diddley, this legend and someone that they obviously dug so much um, and respected so much. Like that is such a cool thing of him, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say passing the torch because it's not like he was the torch bearer and now he's giving it to them. It's just like, I'm part of this tradition and I have been a part of it for all this time. And now I'm watching you and I see that you're a part of this tradition too. And so here, let me give you, like you're saying, like this coronation, this blessing as you venture out into a new continent and kind of spread the word of rock and roll and of blues, take this with you. And like, I, I don't know. I, I love that when you, when you presented that idea to me and it, it made so much sense, especially with the, like you said, I've seen them all that whole part. I mean, it's just like, it's perfect. Well, and they're one of the first like American, well, I guess the doors like toured over there, like in 68 and stuff, but um, like lots of British bands who had were playing American inspired music played mm-hmm. over there, but um, they're one of, one of the first like, big american bands to for people over there to feel like oh we're getting it's straight from the horse's mouth now yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah no it's totally um the may 10th amsterdam show uh rose a bit i always knew it was really good but um in the past i've thought the um it started a little like looser or with rougher vocals than uh than i thought when i listened this year um and this is an example of uh looking at pictures of the venue but helping your appreciation of a show if you look at the i won't say it right but grot is all that one is that no no called? that's that's rotterdam the oh, concert yeah. to goodbye or something oh, in yeah. Amsterdam. <laughs> uh it and very different to rotterdam where the rotterdam venue is really like futuristic with the purple yeah those like cool the cubes, right? yeah yeah uh but the one in amsterdam is like very ornate a baroque looking building like with white and red and all this mm-hmm. um but uh, it also has windows along the top kind of like skylights and so i think they even mentioned on the dead cast that the sun was still and bob says it from the stage actually he's like as the last sun sets in the west or yeah. something we're gonna play a song and then they play me and my uncle but um i think that's what it is but once i had that picture i was like oh now it makes sense like this does sound like they're playing as the sun's still setting so like 
that changes the vibes a little bit. And then the, um, so that gave me a new appreciation for Amsterdam. Um, Lille, May 13th, rose in my wow. estimation. Interesting. Finally. So, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I remember you mentioning this. I don't know. In one of your various Europe podcasts, you were like, I feel bad for Lille because it comes right after Rotterdam. And so like, I'm always comparing it to that. And just like, I know it's good, but I've never really fully gotten into it. So this was the year. This It finally kind of clicked with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was finally able to appreciate it on its own merits and not compare it to the, the Titans that went before. I think it's solid. <laughs> it's solidly a, a low 90s show, I think, uh, in a similar ballpark to uh, Hamburg and uh, the second night in Copenhagen, Newcastle, that kind of range. Nice. Um, and kind of postponed my uh, one that I don't feel so strongly about to the one after i think luxembourg is actually the the one where they slip down to like mid 80s partially because it's shorter yeah but it also felt a bit like sterile i think the the atmosphere of playing in this tiny little thing for a radio station also they started like at midnight or some stupid mm. hour because of <laughs> like where it's primarily broadcast to um so anyway uh leo uh moved up the june 17th uh show at the hollywood bowl pig pen's last one um i still don't think it's like one of the best of the year but it's not as weak as i thought before um before i would have thought it's like a b minus or something but i think i i gave it like a something in the low to mid 80s so like it improved a bit uh i think it's a really good show for jerry and um it has the debut of stella blue mm -hmm. which is uh noteworthy not just because it's the debut but it's the only one with pig pen uh yeah. which means it's the only one that has the ham and organ and i think that fills it out really nicely and i like that version a lot because of that yeah um the second night in boston september 16th uh really loved that one um i thought they were energetic and uh powerful in the first set uh that bird song was like really fiery and packed a punch for being only 10 minutes um and uh it's a bertha opener which i always like but then it's got that really cool dark star with ned lajin um with some very distinctive uh, piano playing it's always cool how everyone has their own like personality on their instrument and yeah. you can tell like even if you didn't know it was a guest appearance like that doesn't sound like keith yeah um and it flows into uh, Broke Down, which is actually the only time uh, Dark Star and Broke Down Palace were played directly beside each other, no matter what order. Wow. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Well, hold on. Wait, let's pause there. Because you told us uh, that we could each ask about the rate, the rankings for a few shows. And 916 was one of the ones that I was going to ask about. So while okay. we're on the subject, let me just ask. Because when, when I was listening, I remember thinking that... Um, it was amazing. And uh, you and I both talked about it, how fondly we thought of it. So what, what do you got for that one? Uh, let me pull it up here. Um, where did my, oh, it closed on me. Uh, while I'm finding it, um, there were a few questions that, uh, you sent me. Um, if you want me to touch on those, yeah, uh, go for it. You asked, uh, uh, with it being the 45th anniversary of 77, 
uh, how many how much of that did I listen to this year um a few of my favorites not nearly as much as last year um you know not having as much free time on my hands now uh, but also last year I listened to all of the spring shows mm-hmm. all 30 of them uh for my episode on that and um and then I also ended up talking about 77 at the start of this year for um the the Dave's 43 41 review for the yeah. Baltimore show um and uh I actually did listen to most of Fall 77 last year on the anniversaries mm. um and there is an interesting difference between spring and fall that maybe I or we together could talk about sometime I only ended up listening to Binghamton this fall which is a Dave's pick so I forget what number uh it's the last show of the fall tour yeah and as we've discussed privately and on air separately, uh, 77 is a phenomenal year for like throwing a, a dart at the calendar blindfolded and listening to any <laughs> random show. But it can also be quite a slog to analyze at the level that we've done here for 72. Yeah. Um, so There's less warts, which makes it less interesting in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Okay, I got this spreadsheet up. I'll come back to the other one I wanted to okay. come back to. Um, so you asked about Boston. Um, it's sitting at a 97 right now. Wow. That feels fair. That's deserved. I I, I really, really love that show. And it was um, in that period of time that you and I were talking about the interesting kind of trend that we both noticed of during that fall run, which is a great, set of shows i mean pretty much universally excellent but when they had two night runs in cities both of us were like there's something about this second night that is like really killer i don't know what's going on here with like the second night always being awesome it was like there, waterbury same thing and so uh yeah i was curious where that would kind of shake out 97 though i mean that seems appropriate i know what was going on the second night in in all three cases was the dark star night <laughs> ah, there it is <laughs> hollywood boston and waterbury <laughs> that is true yeah so not only are they getting more comfortable do they have a good sense of the venue but then that's when they're like all right we're comfortable now let's break out the dark star let's yeah. pull out the big guns <laughs> some of those other ones are crazy too but yeah uh, okay so continuing on do, with the 10 do you have do you have one yeah well like oh, a yeah. sneak peek yeah dave go yeah for it. and then we'll yeah, ten twenty eight in Cleveland, ninety nine. That one actually yes. made my uh, made my top uh, uh, twenty five shows of their career list. Uh, it and we we can talk about it uh, again with some of the other questions, but it's got the set list factors big time. Playing half of American Beauty in seventy two, um, and like ones you don't usually get as well particularly addicts um and then just the like really powerful from start to finish and billy having maybe his best night of the year um and also i think uh it has going for it what um the second night in paris does with the you know those first set songs like all the that whole batch of americana songs that they're playing at this point um the way they did their set list you get the sense they kind of viewed them as interchangeable parts that they can like plunk in any order um you know accounting for the alternating 
between Jerry and Bob or Jerry, Bob, Big Ben. Um, but every now and then they seem to like stumble upon an order where they don't just like each tell their own story, but they all like seem to tell a bigger story the way that they're linked together. And I found uh, Cleveland's first set kind of fit that bill with promised land into friend of the devil into Jack straw. You're really doubling down on that on the run kind of theme. Yeah. Just as a quick example. Nice. Nice. And then is maybe the exception to the rule of the night two is better than night one, the December Winterland shows. Like, do you think 1211? Yeah. So that's better than 1212. It did. That's kind of a, a half exception because it is night two, but it's like not the last night. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Which would actually, if we're, um, that would be a similar pattern to the the three nights at the Stanley in uh, Jersey City at the end of September. Mm-hmm. I think the middle night there is the the best one, but the other two are pretty good too. Yeah. Um. Uh, oh, so, so I so... I rudely interrupted your list of uh, ten and five. Right, right. <laughs> I was trying to remember where I was at here. My um, <laughs> October second, Springfield. Um. Uh, I had kind of overlooked that one. I think last year it just happened to arrive at a time when my focus had dipped for whatever reason, whether it was like what I had going on that day or like, um, yeah, but I, you know, that was a variable I tried really hard to control this year since I knew that it mattered to do so. Um, and that one, it's one of the, the few nights of the year with neither dark star nor the other one. So, uh, previously I kind of, I thought like oh well, that that sucks but tried to like not think of it that way and just like yeah, appreciate it for what it is and like you know they didn't like think any less of that audience and think like oh screw these guys we're not gonna do a big jam tonight <laughs> like they they definitely like tried to bring something cool to the table so let's figure out what that was um and but just the so it makes it up for the lack of big dog by just having everything else really immaculately played um, uh, bird song and playing are both awesome. And it has a really neat jam suite. Uh, th- like with, it's got like truck and nobody's fault, but mine. And then like jam morning do uncle John's band or something like that. Yeah. Um, so like it makes up for not having dark star or the other one. Um, the first night in Milwaukee uh, rose a little bit, uh, both nights there are an audience recording i think by the same guy i'm guessing because they sound very similar Mm -hmm. um and i know audience tapes get a bad rap in deadhead land uh which is an instance of deadheads being very spoiled because like (laughs) in terms of like average sound quality of a any random dead show you decide to listen to compared to like zeppelin (laughs) there's no comparison (laughs) so um yeah when people complain about like an audience tape of that quality bro you you can hear what's going on (laughs) (laughs) you can hear everyone pretty much (laughs) i do think they there is something to be said for like uh, appreciating what they do is, is a bit more about like the intricacies of the interplay between them all as opposed to like just raw power yeah with like a zeppelin show which can shine through more easily on an audience tape but this one is perfectly fine and it's got um pretty cool set list. It's a dark star into 
Mississippi half step, which they would do again in November mm-hmm. um, in Houston. Um, Cleveland uh, is one that shone more brightly in the sense that I knew I really liked it because of the set list elements with the American Beauty songs, but I, I wanted to like have a real unbiased listen and make sure that performance wise it lived up to that as well and i think yeah. that it did and then some so that was a pleasant uh not necessarily surprise but like confirmation that i wasn't just um getting blinded by the cool set list um and then the second night in houston i would say shone more brightly like i knew about the first night because of that in the texas chainsaw playing and but it's oh yeah i should so it and nashville are both missing uh the first set um so that affects the first night in houston but the second night's pretty well as good and the playing isn't quite as off the rails but it's still pretty intense and over 20 minutes and uh that dark star is really good and has the the first weather report sweet teas at the end mm-hmm. um, before going into mm-hmm. half step so the second night in houston is really cool uh ones that faded um this one i wish i had time to go back and listen to again um i don't think i will give myself permission to tomorrow unless maybe if i if i get myself ready for the taylor swift episode finally (laughs) quickly (laughs) enough then i will but um the april 14th first night in copenhagen when i say slipped we're talking like to uh 95 or 96 at the worst but um it's one that's circulated as a really good quality recording very early on so it was able to like get out to a pretty sizable lead in terms of like people's opinions of it and if you Mm -hmm. look on the heady version like ranks for songs from that tour like it's routinely near the top um and it is like it does it has a lot to recommend it by um the it goes dark star sugar mags into caution which has or into good loving which has caution in the middle so it's pretty cool jam suite and um it does have great vibes i think and david lemieux talked about in the denmark episode back in the spring that he thinks of the europe shows in colors and he thinks of that one as like a rainbow like really bright and and i do get that kind of amusement park vibe because the tivoli was like in an amusement park yeah um it just I used to have it ranked number seven, like right behind my uh, top six, which did see a swap in it, um, mm-hmm. which I'll explain right after this. Um, but now I would have it like probably still in the top 10, but just like slightly lower, maybe. Okay. Um, Bickershaw slipped a little bit. Um, I do think it has some rougher on the edges moments. I'm sure the the temperature and the equipment issues contributed to that but the equipment issues can also be a bit distracting at times because it has longer pauses between songs than any of the any of the other shows on the tour um when i say faded like i gave it a 97 but it was enough that i it fell out of that top six and amsterdam slid in so i'd probably um well and i would have it behind may 25th at the lyceum as well the second last night so that's my new top seven, I think. Um, the the two Paris, Frankfurt and Rotterdam uh, as the top four, Dusseldorf close behind in fifth, and then Amsterdam. Amsterdam and London. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, Baltimore. So wait, hold on. I, I'm just thinking about this now because of the Copenhagen. So four, they played uh, their four fourteen and four seventeen, mm-hmm. and four seventeen we saw the footage of um, right. earlier this year at the meetup at the movies, which was great. So one thing that I uh, would like to know then, I would imagine that that would still be in the '90s, probably in the low to mid '90s for Copenhagen night two four seventeen. So I'm going to use my second preview for that one. So where did you said that the four fourteen show slipped a little bit to like 96 ish. What about four seventeen? What what a, what a wasted pick. <laughs> this guy <laughs> probably guesses X off the bat and hang. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's either at a 92 or 93. So you're right on. Yeah. 92. Did it raise at all after seeing the video of it or will uh, it when you do your adjustments? I have a feeling it might. Yeah. So the, my thing with it is um, the third set. Once the cameras were off, I think is the best part of the show with yeah. that dark star sugar Meg's caution, Johnny be good finishing it off um, that caution in particular um, the dark star is like one of the weaker ones of Europe more so by default just because it doesn't like go as hard but it's still really nice and has a nice wintry vibe to it which I kind of get mm-hmm. from the whole show uh, probably uh, you know preconditioned to feel that way when they open with cold rain and snow but yeah. um, yeah that that dark star kind of gives me like Narnia vibes like you exploring <laughs> like an ice castle kind of thing um, but anyway that caution is 23 minutes of like really probably as polished of like a pig pen jam song as you're going to hear. And like uh, one of those moments that really makes you wish he, uh, well, I mean, you wish he didn't pass away anyway, right. but like yeah. wish that he was able to continue evolving with them. Cause I do think he would have been able to, and like that version is a great example of where they might've been able to go with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really jazzy and tight and, uh, pretty far out man (laughs) Um, so (laughs) but yeah so my my thing that keeps the second night in Copenhagen down a little bit is um you kind of got some like screwy sequencing because of the tv cameras like yeah the first set ends with black-throated wind (laughs) and it like feels kind of early for an intermission you're like what's going on like not that it matters when you when the next one comes up right away because you're just listening to it after the fact but yeah to me I just loved watching that so much. They seemed so happy and like so joyful during the show. That was like really, really charming. And then also, um, Dave, you should see if you can find just a video of the trucking from this show. It was so freaking good to watch, to see them all playing. And I think that it gets kind of trucking. They just played so well, pretty much every time they played it throughout this year. But then you hear that version and it's like, this is like a, like a true master class on how to, played the song together i actually think trucking is one song that peaked in april not that they were playing it poorly after that but it seemed like it was really getting their full attention um in a like i when i went back through listening to my leader in the clubhouse from each month and i got to frankfurt i think bob has a few lyrical flubs on that one but instrumentally it's like as ferocious as you'll find um Mm -hmm. the newcastle one is 19 minutes and like insanely good the second night at Wembley is as well mm-hmm. both Copenhagen ones 
uh the arhus one has that 16 minute transition into the like that inside out other one attached mm-hmm. to it you got the dusseldorf uh opener right tracking and even the bremen one has a false start but once they get going it's hot mm-hmm. interesting yeah that's like maybe the earliest peak for any of their tracks um of the year would be april trucking yeah uh maybe good loving too because it well, right, it tapers yeah. off kind of halfway through may but yeah fair. um but that jumped out at me too watching the video that they just look like they're having the time of their lives like playing a song that you could imagine might have become stale sometimes like as the years went on but to mm-hmm. see them just like giddy like you know kids <laughs> at disney world to be playing it, it was really cool yeah yeah it was um okay so i uh, sidetracked you with my request for my <laughs> wasted second choice in copenhagen <laughs> you were going through the five that had faded a bit in your estimation guess, over the year yeah should we give dave his second pick to make yeah, sure dave, do you want stays democratic yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna save it for a okay. little oh okay. okay yeah keep it holstered so the next two might be a surprise well the, the other two are probably a surprise too um baltimore and philly from september mm. Now, when I say slipped, again, it's very slight. Uh, Baltimore, I think I have at a 97, and Philly is like a 98 or 99, probably 99. But Both Dick's picks, though, right? Yeah, yeah. and because of that, similar to what I was with, well, Copenhagen and Bickershaw, they've been well-known for a long time, so that naturally leads to a lot of like votes and people kind of by default like, oh, well, this one, because it's the 72 show they know. Um, and... You know, they're both obviously great. Um, it's just, uh, it's probably more so that I assumed because they were the official releases that they were like, you know, noticeably the best of the month, which is like not really like there's at least a handful that are right on par mm-hmm. from like the week or two surrounding them. Um, if Philly is, you know, it has the length that like epic quality going for it. Cause it's one of the longer shows of the year. I think it would be in the top five boulders, actually the longest. It's the only one that crosses four hours. Mm. Uh, Bickershaw comes up just short. Um, and then it would be like Frankfurt, Philly and Rotterdam, I think rounding out the top five for length. Mm-hmm. Baltimore has like kind of a harshness to it the whole way through, which, which is good. And uh, obviously highlighted by the, longest ever uninterrupted version of the other one although the one from new year's eve if you count drums and the drums bass that like on archive are broken up as separate tracks then it would edge baltimore by like a minute and it would hit 40 because hmm. like when i'm counting rotterdam's length i count drums as part of it it would still be first slightly even without it but yeah um yeah so those two maybe faded ever so slightly um i don't really have any more concrete reasons why just like <clears throat> i assumed that i'd always assumed philly was like you know quite obviously right in the mix for best show of the year and now i would say like it's obviously in the mix for top 10 of the year but i wouldn't pick it as my favorite yeah i i'm with you i had a similar feeling when i was listening to those shows i feel like i yeah, I wouldn't even pick the Philly as like definitely not the best of that um like to- like 
tour that stretch even it was yeah. great but i would put jersey city above it um for sure and waterbury would be up there as well for me mm-hmm. yeah we both agreed on the 27th being the best show of september yeah so good i will say the uh um the baltimore other one it's has one of the well, actually, okay. Remind me to come back to that when your question about moments. Okay. And that Philly Dark Star does have that really awesome, like proto mind left body jam. Oh yeah. You know, towards the end, um, it actually reminds. I don't know if you guys ever watched Seventh Heaven back in the day. I didn't. <laughs> so it, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the theme song to that. I don't know if you can hear it, Dave, or now you won't be able to unhear it. <laughs> but... <laughs> Isn't wasn't the theme song the only thing I can remember of it just from commercials was Seventh Heaven? Am yeah, I imagining that. You know, that's it. That's part of. It. Yeah, that's how it finished. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then the 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 other one that f- faded that I could think of off the top of my head, um, is the first night in St. Louis. Last year, when I was listening to the box, I thought like, oh, oh wow, this is just like, okay, they didn't play Dark Star in the other one, but they play a really long set. So, set list in terms of number of songs to make up for it and it's just like spotless version after spotless version and there are some that are that but i also think it has a few like warts that i didn't notice last year um i still gave it a 96 but like um i i wasn't torn this time as far as what the best of that of that three night run was i think like i was like okay it's it's obviously the 18th in my opinion, but um, yeah, the 17th is still really, really good. Okay. Wow. So a lot of moving and shaking overall then throughout the the rankings, which I guess is to be expected. You know, every time you come to something with new, fresh ears, fresh eyes, you know, you've changed a little bit as a person since last time you've heard it. The circumstances of how you're listening to it have changed. Things are going to shift a little bit. Um, so, but that, that's interesting that there were that many that kind of like moved around just a little bit in your estimation. Um, so let's talk about the the moments question that you just alluded to. So one of the questions that I wrote down was top moments of 72, and it can be a you know top version of a song or a full show that you think is like, wow, that was just like a great moment in time that was captured a set or even very specific moments in songs. And it sounds like you have at least one specific moment like ready to go. So what what did you think of for that? Yeah, that um, in Baltimore at the very end of that other one, which, you know, one of not the longest versions ever uh, has a really uh, like almost like cocktail hotel bar jazz kind of jam in near the end there, which normally I don't like, but is good in this case. And um, when they come back to the theme and it's like right around the like with two minutes left in the track, so like about 37 minutes in right as they're about to come back into the verse phil like blows a speaker cabinet and it sounds like a someone on heady described it perfectly like they said it sounds like an alien ship landing it's like so menacing it makes this like kind of like (laughs) echoing sound and it's like wow like what a way to cap such an epic version um and then he actually um, I know Alex, you listened to the Long Beach show from December um, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. He actually kind of mimics that effect deliberately on that to like 
signal the like, okay, we're leaving trucking now and heading towards Dark Star. <laughs> when the other guys are still kind of grooving along, and he like sends off a couple of them in a row, like <laughs> um, similar to those like dying star bends that I call them that Jerry does. Um, in a lot of Dark Stars this year, you can hear it most easily at the very beginning of the Philly one. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, similar to the like duck quacking on the Scarlet Fire transition in Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. that kind of thing where like he repeats it a few times in a row. Um, Trying to catch everyone's attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another moment uh, and definitely my most revisited moment of the year, uh, Jerry's Uncle John's band solo from that uh, second, last, second last night of Europe, um, which, uh, you know, that kicks off the jam suite uncle john's warfrat dark star sugar mags yep. uh, which is a really neat sequence on paper and the playing lives up to it but um but before you even get to any of that just jerry's like solo early in uncle john's band the like the phrasing and the emotion is just like tear-jerkingly good um yeah. i've replayed that a lot uh i think that's one of his best moments not just in 72 um but ever yeah you know it's a good example of like quality over quantity it doesn't have to be the shreddiest um if it's just like really well structured and the emotions there yeah. um i mentioned bob's yell on the exit from the jed solo in dusseldorf <laughs> that's a great moment um uh, bill going insane on the cleveland casey jones which is like a song that's easy to like half zone out on because okay yeah it's casey jones i know how it goes but then bill's like no you will pay attention to this one (laughs) Um, all right i want to give a shout out to a moment dave i'd like i'd like i'd like to hear one of yours too dave but one for me that i think we can all agree on as as donna supporters in this room um donna sing me back home um coming out from underneath keith's piano uh, mm-hmm. to play sing me back home i think is her brightest moment of europe 72 and it's one that i've revisited her and jerry sound so sweet together in that song and I, that's one that I've, I've listened to quite a bit this year so shout out to donna that's the the second night in paris yeah <clears throat> yeah five four yeah yeah i think that's the best sing me back home yeah it's so good um dave moments for you what are there any that before we keep going with other moments anything that jumps out in your mind yeah yeah, I mean, my favorite is in April 8th when they transition from Sugar Mag to Caution. There's something about it that has stuck with me the whole year, like from when we listened to that way back in the spring to prepare for our Europe 72 episode. Keep coming back to it. Like that whole Dark Star, Sugar Mag, Caution, One More Saturday Night quartet, I'll listen to that over and over. And I just love that like high energy ending to sugar mag into this, what I think is the best caution of all time. Just this absolute melt your face off caution. That is so great. Um, That to me is that like 60 second transition they have between those two songs. It's just an awesome moment for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. It's like, the if you're like grading the levels of like hotness that's getting to like 
you know, frying an egg on the hood of your car. <laughs> it's like, <"Whoa." laughs> um, I can't think of too many anymore off the top of my head, but since you mentioned Donna, I have a counter Donna moment for you okay. um, at the very end of that St. Louis jam suite with the first play in sandwich. Um, her, her scream on the return is like, well, Bob does one with her, but it's like so aggressive. It actually throws them off for a second and they like lose the groove. <laughs> They're like, what? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That'll wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that I think that that's the same show that she thanks the crowd. Um, do you remember the moment I'm talking about? She's like, well, "Thank you very much." Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is right after that. Um, the oh, actually, one more moment. Uh, and I noticed these more in the fall. Um, the little tuning jams they would do that are like more like military type like songs that mm-hmm. i guess they figured like audiences in europe might not like notice so they didn't bother or something but like um that st louis show is one of a few instances where they do a little yellow rose of texas tuning uh they do stars and stripes forever a few times um i noticed i think it was in cleveland they did halls of montezuma mm-hmm. uh, like the marines hymn um uh in um the second night in Houston, right before Dark Star, they do a little Dixie tuning jam. Um, Europe, they do Zippity Doodah once or twice. I know in Dusseldorf they do it. Um, These were all great moments in a year filled with memorable moments. I mean, we could keep going forever if we just talked about shows that were special because there are so many. Let me see what other questions we have written down. Yeah, one of them was, if you could take a song that did not exist in 1972, but put it into the band's repertoire that year, which one would you pick? Yeah, that was a great question. I heard you guys ask Jonathan from Broke Down Pod uh, that on your Vanita episode. I thought it was a really good question, so I kind of got thinking about it then. I know one of you, I think it was Alex, said Cassidy. For uh, that show yeah. oh okay yeah yeah um, yeah like that was just vanita oh okay gotcha um i thought it was a great choice and a natural one since they all played on ace and it's on there so like yeah it was kind of in the repertoire they just didn't bust it out as the dead for a while um yeah. uh sticking with songs from their 72 solo albums uh i think to lay me down could have been nice um and they were obviously in an american beauty D cuts mood in the fall uh busting out box of rain and addicts and Candyman. um so i think it could have been nice and they did introduce it like fairly shortly after because they play it in 73 and 74 mm-hmm. um speaking of american beauty uh, i've always been kind of surprised that they didn't dust off ripple a few times um that would have been awesome yeah because yeah. like they did it a few times in early 71 and then just dropped in until 1980 yeah um not sure along those lines i'm not sure why high time wasn't given a go uh also because like they do black peter five times and Mm -hmm. dire wolf five as well i believe uh Mm -hmm. and obviously cumberland was getting a good amount of plays um it's kind of i don't know why uh those american beauty ones weren't played in europe but like at least they did them in the fall um 
the only ones from American Beauty they didn't play in '72 would be Operator, no surprise, um, and Ripple. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Till the Morning Comes. But like, so Ripple's the only one of those. It's like surprising they didn't. Um, yeah. And then for Working Man's, I guess they didn't do High Time or a New Speedway Boogie or Easy Wind, but the rest they did um so yeah high time and ripple would have been nice but uh i also wish they would have done hard to handle uh mm. in the first half of the year when pig huh. was still there because it was so good in 71 and um and part of that was like it suited the the more like rootsy like rock blues like lineup before keith joined after mickey had left yeah. um and it, it did benefit from the extra like heft of jerry's let's paul but um i still would like to have heard it with the 72 like tightness and complexity and like increased polish and all that um not surprisingly since it was debuted a few months after 72 i think the wake of the flood songs that weren't played um namely like eyes road jimmy here comes sunshine all would have sounded good yeah in the fall um they did debut stella and mississippi half step like in the summer um a lot of the later classics actually do benefit from the additional like power in the case of shakedown street for example or yep. like complexity um in the terrapin. case of terrapin yeah yeah uh <clears throat> that the two drummer lineup affords um i don't think it always suited songs that existed at this point in 72 but songs that were written with that lineup often do benefit from it right um I think Fire on the Mountain could have sounded cool. Um, you know, and Scarlet for that matter. Like, um, and Fire on the Mountain was basically born in the Watkins Glen soundcheck jam mm-hmm. from July 73, anyway. Um, so I think my final answer is Althea. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, they would have ripped that song up in 72. Absolutely. There's no doubt. Man. Yeah. That was one of the best curveballs. <laughs> yeah. Talk about every song not named Althea for five minutes. I, it's a com- it was a complete. It was a complete mislead too, because I was I was like so so in a seventies headspace of songs, right. and then that just really kind of hit me. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dave, you and I were having this conversation just recently, and um, speaking of eighties eighties classics, what would your song be? I thought in the same vein of the like Americana songs added to Europe 72. I thought Alabama getaway would have been an interesting one for them to play throughout the Europe 72 tour. Um, That was my answer to that question. I think it would have been good. I think that that the energy of that song would have fit with a lot of the sets that they were playing. And uh, I think especially that November run in the Midwest and West, I think that that song would have worked really, really well in a lot of those shows. So yeah, I'm with you there. Um, Another one just uh i thought of it just now as he's um and i meant to say greatest story ever told i think fits is one of those like definitive 72 songs i could see hell in a bucket excelling in the in a similar mm. sort of vein i also thought about like a like a, a later year ballad like a black muddy river or standing on the moon yeah black muddy river though i think really suits like the older wearier voice because it's kind of like an end of life sort of song totally. standing standing on the moon though i could picture um 
having the same sort of effect that seeing me back home does like at the end of Europe, like, you know, somewhere in San Francisco on it, but the back porch in July. Yeah. But yeah. If I could pick one, I would stick with Althea. Sorry, what were so you going to say? I, I was thinking about those exact same songs. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, the like older, like wearier Jerry voice suits those songs very well. Um, I agree that, um, that standing on the moon would be, the better of those two i think if you had to choose just one another one that's kind of when you said that 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 specific lyric from standing on the moon it made me wonder about um mission in the rain um a later garcia one that is very tender and just great i would have been interested to hear maybe how that sounded um but yeah i mean beggars can't be choosers they had a great songbook they were working with in 72 and they were playing all these songs so well so it's just interesting to think like you were saying there are some that like you know, first of all, for like shakedown, it's like, well, they couldn't have invented disco before it existed <laughs> um, and had that in 72. Um, and like, there's somewhere it's just like this or Terrapin. It's like Mickey was a huge part of composing that song. It would be really weird to have that song with one drummer dead in 72. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I think that we've, we've got a good list, but I think Althea is the winning answer. <laughs> I, well, thanks. Uh, I, have a, I have a tangential hot take about standing on the moon, actually. Let uh, it rip. Let's hear it. Yeah. And I'm sure you and I will hear it in July at Oracle. Yeah. Um, but I think it's an example of one that actually shines best with Dead and Company. And I, you know, call me a heretic, but I actually <laughs> like Bob's vocals on it in his present like state better yeah. than Jerry, even because I think it's one that really benefits from like the older and closer to death you can sound the better <laughs> i mean arguably jerry sounded closer to death in 95 than bob does now i he seems to be going strong i don't mean it that way but like uh, no but you're right it's that it's that old wizened you know bob has like the the shock of gray hair and the gray yeah. beard and he's like looking like his age i mean he looks great for his age yeah if i can look the way he does at his age i'll be amazed but like i'm just saying you're right like it's not like jerry where it's like this is a 50 year old man singing this song yeah. versus someone in their 70s no it's yeah. like it's like gandalf singing it while he's blowing the pirate ships with his pike <laughs> <There's> pipe <laughs> pike oh gosh i got too much starbucks in my brain <laughs> oh man um, um also i thought about touch of gray too but um it's another one that uh needs the two drummers more than you think because those like tumbling fills that kind of occur like while the groove is still going mm-hmm. uh you know one person is not an octopus you just can't do both <laughs> things and but they are kind of an integral integral part so yeah no that's true um dave or do we miss any questions um, um i think the only one actually that we missed was kind of in a wrap-up mode of you know now uh, that we you've... missed one earlier missed one earlier two, on the list. Two good ones, actually. okay yeah throw them out there the one is unexpected challenges or delights um yeah what so what 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 the basically that's the question what were there any unexpected challenges that came up to listening to this i would imagine just listening to this much music with all the other music you listened to would have been a challenge in and of yeah. itself yeah so yes to both um Mm -hmm. in terms of uh challenges so having arrived at the end of this exercise right around the end of college football season i couldn't help but notice the similarities between 
this exercise and the Ohio state, Michigan rivalry, just cause that's the one I focus on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both teams make no qualms about the fact that they prepare for the other 365 days a year. There are wrinkles in the playbook that are created and preserved specifically for that game. Every practice all year round has a portion devoted to their arch rival. Um, so likewise, as I was saying earlier, this topic has been on my mind and had time or at least thought spent on it every day of the year, no matter what I was talking about that particular week, I'd always be thinking, Oh, like there's another like angle or like way to look at it. And it's like, you know, if, if the truth of like the proper ranking of them is this ball in the middle, like every possible like angle I can look at the ball from is like going to get me a clearer and clearer picture. Right. So I, every day I'd be like, you know, talking about some other album that week, but like, Oh, I need to make a spreadsheet about this <laughs> related to 72. Um, so the challenge then uh, is to devote the proper time and effort and dedication to the topic at hand in a given week. Uh, when deep down you've had that last game of the year, if you will, like circled on your calendar mm-hmm. for 365. Um Another challenge um, to stick with the football analogies was to not move the goalposts as it were, uh, as I went along. Um, I did choose like an actual grading system. Um, I think Ontario is actually, I went with just because it was like familiar to me from going to school here um, (laughs) in terms of like, you know, what percentage range was encompassed by each letter grade. Cause I, last year when I went through, I think last year I gave them all like loose letter grades, just like as a practice run. And then I knew I wanted to do percentages this year so that I could graph it out and everything. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, it can easily get very like arbitrary, like choosing out of a hundred as opposed to letter grades, your options are like more narrow. Right. So I was like, okay, I want to have a standard for what each letter corresponds to. Um, but, um, I didn't make like a rubric for like, okay, what things am I looking for, for something to fall in this letter? It was just kind of like by feel. Um, Mm -hmm. and I do think I got like maybe more lenient after Europe. Uh, so that's why I went back and listened to the like leader in the clubhouse for each month and cherry picked some other jam suites. And now I got to recalibrate the scores accordingly. Um, and in terms of delights, I noticed a lot of magic I had glossed over before, um, you know, as proven by the fact that I had twice as many shows that off the top of my head that improved as opposed to slipped slightly. Yeah. And I was not that I was nervous that I would get sick of it, but I think my endurance for it was actually better even than it was last year, even though this is my second time listening to all of them, I felt like I was still like you know, accelerating through the finish line, like being excited to start each one right up through the December shows, even though I um, sprinted through them like several, like for over a week in a row, like finishing up November and December. So, cause I obviously can't listen to the new year's Eve show on the anniversary and then get the right. episode out. Right. Yeah. So that was a delight. That's great. Yeah. That's a, that is a very pleasant surprise. I would say, I mean, it's it's it is great to get to the end and feel still energized rather than like 
worn down, you know, yeah, defeated by the task. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good sign. It's a good sign that you chose a good task for you. How many of the shows did you guys end up listening to, by the way? For me, probably in the range of 50, I would say 40 or 50, um, all of Europe, all of September for sure. Most of October. And then when you started just sending me like highlights and you'd be like, okay, this show from Cleveland, make sure you listen to that. <laughs> yeah. You, like, yeah. <laughs> I remember in November. You're like, okay, I'm just tapping out. I was like, okay, but I'm not letting you completely. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah, will listen like, to this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my just like work got really busy in October and November and I lost steam. And then, so yeah, that was kind of where I lost it a little bit, but I did listen to most of the Academy shows before Europe and then all of Europe. Um, so I would say probably in the 40 or 50 range, Dave, you had an even busier year for work than I did. Um, yeah. so, where so were you I'm, at? I'm less than you, I think probably between 25 and 30, like all of Europe, some in the fall, um, the Cleveland show on your recommendation, Zach, and then just a couple more here and there. Um, like I did the Winterland, some of the Winterland shows in December. I did the, um, on the weekend, the anniversary of that Dave's Picks 1117. Mm-hmm. Um, I checked that show out too. Uh, so the lowest of the, of all of us, but um, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure every time. I mean, 72 is, is fun to listen to. What did you think of which? Uh, was that your first time yeah that was my first time because i've only been a dave's picks subscriber for a year so i you know i didn't even know that that was a dave's picks let alone like this awesome show let alone this awesome date like the 17th of november has more years than just 72 of being like a top tier show it it's the only uh calendar date with three dave's picks and it's three years oh, in a there row there you go albuquerque yeah. 71 wichita <laughs> 72 and ucla 73 yeah, all all great shows, all killer, no filler. Yeah, um, uh, Dave, what did you think of the uh, the dark star from that middle night at Winterland? Um, I don't. Unlike you, I don't have this like dark star encyclopedia in my brain. <laughs> I also listen to a lot of these while driving, so like sometimes oh, okay. it's easy to get like the highway hypnosis and kind of fall into it for. And then you look up 20 minutes later, but it's a more um, immersive experience, but yeah, you obviously can't take notes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think, I don't remember, unfortunately, anything like standout or scary in in that one. Nothing that like haunted me or, or maybe be like, whoa. (laughs) Um, Well, I thought, I thought I noticed like it, it was almost like a, um, a snapshot of like multiple different years around 72 as well. Like it had some 70ness to it. It had hmm. some 73 ness. Also noticed Sprinkled some in. seven seventy style feedback in uh in Long Beach. I don't know if you caught that, Alex. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. more like soothing the way they would finish the night, like the 920 70 show you guys talked about. Yeah. Um yeah. Could, as opposed to like trying to mess with you it's 72 tiger <laughs> yeah yeah fair um dave you still have two two requests to make i still have one you guys also had a great question what month did i enjoy oh, the yeah. most from beginning yeah. to end we actually also talked about this yesterday dave and i were talking and we were placing our guesses on which month we thought would be your favorite so i'm very yeah, we, curious we to have a guess this. What, do you want to reveal your guess first or... go ahead no, no 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 oh no 
No, okay. I want to hear the answer first and then see if we were right. Okay. So um, it's a very close call between May, September, and November. Um, Danger okay, out. We're uh between those um november might be the most consistent um september the most diverse in terms of like cool inclusions pairings placements in the set list um that was one thing there's a streak from august into uh no from july into october where dark star never goes into the same thing twice in a row mm-hmm. whereas like in europe it went into sugar mags like that was the rule and there are a few exceptions mm-hmm. but there's no rule um starting in july like um like it goes into comes a time both july versions jersey city and portland and then the next one is Benita, right uh no there's two in no. berkeley oh the 21st and 24th um the 21st i think is an el paso sandwich and then i forget what it goes into the 24th goes into morning dew Mm -hmm. and then uh 27th obviously was about to and goes into el paso Paso, (laughs) um but then the next one is hollywood uh the second night there uh which um i know you and i both really loved that's a 98 show and i think it might um have the longest like average song length of the year by the way Hmm. i i didn't have the the time or inclination to go through (laughs) calculating all that but just like at a quick glance on the youtube video for it was like three hours 20 minutes and they only play 21 songs that's Um, crazy so whereas like the europe ones that are like hitting up over three and a half hours have like 30 songs yeah, um, or 1017 same thing that first set alone is like 20 songs <laughs> yeah 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 um and like vanita for instance is like 20 songs so like same number of songs basically but is like 30 minutes shorter yeah um so th- that one goes into jackstraw which is a one time only and that's the other thing not only is it not the same night to night but it's like pairings they hardly ever did mm-hmm. uh and that's a cool one with David Crosby. And then the next one is the one into broke down with Ned Legend. And then the next one is Philly, um, which is into do, but then mm-hmm. the next one, Waterbury is into China rider. Right. Which like, I think it was a pairing that they did in 68 and maybe 69, but outside of that, very unusual. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's the 27th into Cumberland. Um, and that dark star, by the way, is like, someone put on heady that like they reached like the nucleus of dark star <laughs> and i'd have to agree like it they arrive at a space um before the verse which and by the way that show i would have given a hundred to if dark star was like 10 minutes longer but it's it's 30 <laughs> minutes with like it has a 23 minute pre-verse like rotterdam but then they uh kind of abandon ship into cumberland fairly early after the verse Mm -hmm. um which kind of foreshadows a pattern i don't love about 73 uh looking ahead to next year where like you'll have these epic pre-verses and then they seem to like get bored with it (laughs) and pull the plug early but yeah um anyway that one goes into cumberland and then the one after that would be 
St. Louis in the play-in yeah. sandwich. <clears throat> so like, and then the one after that is Milwaukee into half step, and then Cleveland goes into Sugar Mags and Casey. It's back to like into do. And then you got another one that goes into half step with Houston, um, but um, San Antonio goes into me and Bobby McGee, mm-hmm. and then um, the Winterland one goes into Stella. So um anyway so september would have the the edge for like diversity in that sense i guess um and then may would have the most like spectacular top end yeah both paris shows and rotterdam is a pretty tough top three to beat plus like amsterdam bakershaw the the last two especially at the lyceum right um Mm -hmm. november is shorter on or arguably missing like truly epic shows in the sense that like to me length is a bit of a factor in like having that epic quality and they're all like like wichita i gave the crown to for the month but it's like just under three hours Mm -hmm. it's in that pocket sized 72 category um the show before it though the second night in oklahoma city is very close behind uh and i know you listened to that one as well um and it's a bit longer um in september they seemed to hit that that level of those like approaching like where those top may shows are every other night when i looked at the graph for the year um and i'll send you guys the spreadsheet but um in that middle eight of europe which includes part of april with dusseldorf and frankfurt um Mm -hmm. and hamburg but it's the one like slight dip in the eight but uh it's like a very clear plateau where they just stay at that all-time great level for like two weeks on end um whereas in september it's a pretty uninterrupted zigzag where like every other night they're hitting that level and then you have like a more standard low 90s show Mm -hmm. um in may their ability to hit that all-time great level every single night is unbelievable yeah. Not they don't do it for the whole month. The between Rotterdam and the Lyce, start of the Lyceum, there's a bit of a dip, but like not a lot. Um, it, it, like if not unprecedented for their whole career, having that many shows of that caliber right next to each other, like strung out like that. Um, apart from a slight dip between Rotterdam and Munich, um, more so Luxembourg than Lille, uh, the whole month is like a plus with like 95 or above yeah and and starts with a five show run that goes 100 100 97 98 100 with like the two paris shows <laughs> bigger shot and the two in the netherlands yeah so that's pretty tough to beat um and I, I i calculated average scores for each month i didn't do uh december yet i don't think it it actually i need to recalibrate because it came out on top and i don't feel like that's accurate but um Whereas, yeah, so, oh, I don't have November on here, but I think it was 95, which is tied. So May came out with a 96, September and November had a 95, um, and then October was a 93, and April was 91, because, like, it has a few that really drag it down, like Bremen and the opening night of Europe and stuff. But um, when I did the average for just that middle eight, like Dusseldorf through Rotterdam, it's like 
98 or 99 even with hamburg only being at a 91 right now until i recalibrate so like yeah that's crazy insane uh so i would give honorable mentions to april and october um april has four on that level the uh second night at wembley first night at copenhagen dusseldorf and frankfurt three that i would say are like a notch below in that low 90s range newcastle second night copenhagen and hamburg uh but then also two kind of mid 80s types with the for opening night of the tour in Aarhus, and the weakest of the year with bremen mm-hmm. just because it's really short it has multiple false starts that like i know they probably wouldn't have bothered to do a full false start if it wasn't like just in front of a tv for camera TV. yeah but it still counts um mm-hmm. and then october you've got an arguable top 10 of the year with Cleveland and a handful more just beneath that, like second St. Louis and uh, that, but also relatively weaker shows with that, the one-off in uh, San Fran in between the Northeast and Midwest legs. Um, That was the benefit for the road crew Um, and Columbus uh, sad Buckeye noises. (laughs) Um, It broke a streak dating back to like July of consecutive shows in the (laughs) nineties. Um, it still had good moments, but it felt like one of the rare instances of the year where they were like, and Bobby, I think even mentions like a lack of sleep or something. And they seem like a little tired, but they rebound amazingly the next night, a bit up the road in Cleveland. Um, uh, and you got the incomplete Nashville tape in that month as well. Um, March deserves some love, uh, as well. Um, not surprisingly for a seven night run, but the Academy shows, have some really cool set lists uh Mm -hmm. and numerically speaking when i calculated like diversity compared to the rest of the year um march had like all of the top spots um i mean obviously the one with bo diddley was first by a country mile but um (laughs) yeah by far the most unique set list relative to the rest of the year the performance level just hadn't quite ascended as high as it soon would uh so it doesn't really compete for best month of the year, but honorable mention. And July and August are like really enjoyable. They're just a bit more chill, Vanita and Jersey City, notwithstanding. Like they're real nice, just not like on, quite on this level. Um, yeah. So I guess my final answer is May, though not by nearly as much as I would have previously thought a few years ago. Fair. So uh, I said May. I said that I thought it would be between May and September, so I was right on the money. Uh, Dave thought April, um, which did get an honorable mention, we will say. But I, yeah, I, I just thought that the Paris-Rotterdam combo alone would be too high of a, like, too high of a, like, peak for other months to compete with. And you would be correct. And the Lyceum yeah. has enough of the, like, shaking up the order and inclusions in the set list with it being a four night run um, to, uh, you know, to be able to compete or have enough of that to hold off September, which has yeah. a lot of that. September has a higher floor. I think um, yeah. there's like no bad show. I mean, not that there are bad shows in May, but like the Luxembourg, I gave it 85. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. So not bad, but okay. So we, 
we should start wrapping up, but Dave, you still do have two that you should, that you get to ask about. And I still have one. I think that that was all of our questions with the exception of one. I, I want to hear, because I brought up the moment from April 8th. I want to use one of mine for April 8th. And then I'm going to actually just leave the third one like open to enjoy hearing Dr. Cropper's episode and like take it all in um, whenever that comes out. It'll be last of the, last week of the year. I'm going to okay. record it this week, but I'm going to stagger the releases so I can take a little break. Fair. But yeah, April 8th, um, okay, night so- two. Okay, and also I will say um, in your defense for your April guess, it does probably benefit from, like, it usually has my most excitement coming into it. That's what that because it's like, oh, into my guess. finally, it's time to listen to Europe 72 again. <laughs> yep, that factored into my guess of, yeah. like, the the sheen yeah. of Europe 72. And, and right away, you get basically a week break between Copenhagen and Dusseldorf because like you only have the short little bremen one in the middle so like there's no chance to like get sick of it in april mm-hmm. it's always like oh yeah come on give me another one give me another one um <laughs> so the a- april 8th currently i have at a 97 and really the only thing nice. is, and but that might <laughs> change that might change um in the upward direction when i uh recalibrate because like the only thing that i really had holding it back was length but it's like the same runtime as wichita and Venita, which i gave 99s mm. so oh, whoops gave a few more away <laughs> but yeah so <laughs> i thought you were right, gonna well, say the yellow dog story was the only thing holding it back and i was like yeah that's fair 97 that, is that brings it that brings that. it up <laughs> although <laughs> honorable mention though to bobby's b story in st louis <laughs> you, you know that one but, dave you might not know that one have you heard well, that doesn't he, i think he also does it in he does uh, it december at, show right yeah at uh, new year's eve i think or uh, one of the winterland but he doesn't tell it as well he kind of like butchers it but yeah he's like I was in New York walking down the street and this guy had a cigar box full of bees and they're all buzzing in the river. And I said, like, what's in that box? So he said, oh, I got 10,000 bees in there. And he's like, 10,000 bees? Well, won't they all die? And he's like, you know what, the, know what he said? Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the punchline. <laughs> and then you can hear Jerry go like, oh, Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then one of the appropriate response to that. By one the way. of the other, one of the other ones, he tries to like, they're doing a little like, tuning jam and then he's like oh here's my chance and like starts to tell the yellow dog story again <laughs> over it and they like really aggressively crash it to a halt to like stop him from telling it and he's like oh you guys are killjoys <laughs> uh, um okay well inspired by dave's uh gentlemanly um recusal of asking for a third one i will also save that but i will say this not asking for the rating, but one show that I am probably the most curious to hear your rating of when the episode does come out is January 2nd in San Francisco because it's the only show of that month. So it's your highest rated of the month. Kind of, <laughs> it has to be. Um, the first time I heard that, sh- that show at the beginning of this year, there aren't that many shows from early January. So it's like one of the few that's on the anniversary. So I was like, I'll check it out. 
And I think that I was put in such a great mood by Bill Graham introducing it. And his, his intro is like, you know, I'm so happy that there's a band that can get us all out here on January 2nd. There aren't very many bands that can do it. For me, the only one is the Grateful Dead. And then they start playing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's such a nice intro that I'm just like kind of in on this show now. And I think that I like let the highs of me being happy. They like lingered for like the first set pretty much. On re-listen recently, I was not as high on it. Um, And so I'll be curious to hear what your rating is of that show um, when the time comes. Okay, I'll leave it as a spoiler. I will it. Like it's definitely embryonic in a sense compared to the rest of the year, uh, but it it does have um, something very unique that's worth checking out at least even if you don't listen to the whole show. And that is um, a really awesome good loving with China Cat dropped in the middle. Yeah, that is pretty great. Um, and also the the show after it, Mar- the random March fifth show at Winterland before they go to new york has um mind left body jam or kind of like a proto one uh in is that yeah i think it's mind left body in good loving yeah um uh but but no i think that's like it's we're kind of forced to like try to stamp that down as much as possible as far as letting our mood affect our opinion like when we're in the with our podcaster hat on like trying mm-hmm. to analyze this stuff but i think it's good to maintain the ability to like turn that off and just go back to being a fan when it's not something you have to talk about in the near future because it can be very easy to have the enjoyment like sucked right out of it when you get too like into the nitpicking and stuff it's good to be like okay this is a show i'm just listening to for pleasure i'm gonna just put my fun. feet up and let myself just like who cares if it's actually a great version if it sounds like a great version today then at least i'm enjoying the the ride the goal of listening to something (laughs) is to have a good time so like if you're able to that's great and i know uh with the zeppelin like discord group uh it's brought a lot of great things and has helped me be more a more like analytical listener but uh it's also like for a while there it was really like sucking the enjoyment out of shows that i loved for like years and then people are like pointing out so many flaws in them like fine you're right i guess it's not that good (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you just want to be kind of sometimes in the happy little bubble of like well i just like it it's i like it's i like it so what else what else really is bliss sometimes yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um all right well uh i think the last question that we had written down was on the topic of um next year so any 72 shows you'd like to see show up in a Dave's pick or a box set? Of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you already went through the numbers for the percentage of 72 that's been officially released. I think 77 would be the only one that can compete. Um, mm-hmm. And 72 has a huge leg up with having 23 multi-track releases, all of Europe and Vanita. Um, yeah individual shows that i think could be good the july 18th jersey city show uh, is one of jerry's best nights of the year um and it's pretty epic lengthwise um that second night in hollywood with the the david crosby uh guest appearance on dark star into jackstraw that second night in boston that we talked about 
the October 2nd Springfield show that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, my This is just going chronologically. Um, my top request would be October 28th, Cleveland. Um, so we I kind of alluded to the set list factors, but for those of you who haven't heard it, um, they play Sugar Magnolia, which you know is not surprising for 72. So that's one from American Beauty. They also play Friend of the Devil, which is pretty common in the fall. Box of Rain, which had just recently been introduced, really. It was played once in 1970, uh, the first show after Phil's dad passed um, with the studio lineup. So that's like the definitive version because of that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's we're up to three from American Beauty there. Then they put they bust out Candyman for the first time in about a year. Um, and I think it was in brought on by some guy throwing mini marshmallows at the stage because that they comment about that <laughs> right before. Uh, like I think me and Bobby McGee is the song before it, and then afterwards. Uh, like Bob says something about like throwing mini marshmallows and then feels like, yeah, you ought to eat them yourself, man. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> if you can't, uh, he's like, you can't hit a drum with them or you can't like use them as a guitar pick. What good are they? <laughs> or something like that. Uh, kind of like how uh, one of the, I think it's one of the same, I think it's the first night in St. Louis. Uh, some guy throws socks and they're like, if you're going to throw clothes, at least make it interesting. And Jerry's, yeah. <laughs> Jerry's like, socks, amazing. And <laughs> Phil's like, you got a size 11. <laughs> but um, So anyway, Cleveland, the, the this guy throws marshmallows, and then there's like a pause. So I guess they're like talking like, oh, you think we should play Candyman when they haven't played it in like a year? And then they decide to. And then they it, they, it ends up getting, I think, six more plays the rest of the year. So thanks to whoever you were if you're listening you threw the marshmallows um in cleveland um and then addicts of my life which they had brought back for the first time since 1970 at that september 27th show that we picked for best of september um they play it again here i think uh this one's a bit better um and then it disappeared for 17 years yeah until uh those hampton 89 shows so you know that just the uniqueness of of like the gap that occurred after it and like before it for that and the gap before it for Candyman and and all that Um, it's special for that but also when you add it all up that they play half of American Beauty in 72 which I mean it's hard to find any show outside of Fall 70 where that's the case so it's pretty cool for that and then performance-wise, it's one of the heaviest, most fiery of the year, especially for Bill. Uh, and you can hear that really well with the drum-heavy mix. I don't know if they have, if the tape they have in the vault is like a cleaner or like more balanced mix. I, as a drummer, I love the drum-heavy mix, but like you see a lot of people complain about it. Um, so that would be my top pick for a Dave's Picks. Um, Second Night in Oklahoma City, I think, would be a great one. It's already been partially released, though, as the bonus sticks disc for volume 11 so probably less likely Mm -hmm. um second night in houston could be a good one um that middle night at winterland and the long beach show um you also asked about box sets um i guess the the academy run is a natural choice because it's seven in one place not the very best playing of the year but as i was saying really cool set lists and it could be kind of like a prequel to the 
the Europe box. Um, I think I thought of one that would be quite ambitious. You could do all of the California shows from the whole year. Wow. Um, it's intriguing because it would be 17 shows. So almost as many as Europe, uh, but sprinkled throughout the year and like offering a glimpse at the evolution throughout. So you'd have January 2nd and March 5th at Winterland, June 17th, Hollywood Bowl, August 12th, Sacramento, August 20th, San Jose, 21st, 22nd, 24th, 25th, Berkeley, um, September 9th and 10th in Hollywood, October 9th, Winterland, <clears throat> uh, December 10th, 11th, 12th, Winterland, 15th, Long Beach, and New Year's Eve, Winterland. Um, you know, perhaps more than any other year in their career, 72 is famous for what they did away from home because mm -hmm. of Europe. Um, so why not take a peek at how they sounded right in their own backyard as like a contrast? Um, for what that it's, would be really interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Um, for what it's worth, I think the, as I said, the September 10th Hollywood show is the best Californian show of the year. Um, followed by um, the three from December, the middle night of the, the three-night run, Long Beach and New Year's Eve, and then the first night at the Palladium, September 9th, which mm -hmm. is no sledge either. Um, I think the Berkeley run is a tad overrated. Um, er, those shows remind me kind of of the in-between the epics nights in September, uh, which is to say like more low to mid-90s than like, high 90s but you see people on heady like suggesting that they're every bit as good as the overrated vanita that follows <laughs> i'm like i do think there's a bit of a gap there <laughs> but like, uh there's still shows in the 90s but i don't think they're on that like 99 plateau yeah. um you could do the four pacific northwest shows in july um because they did a pacific northwest box for 73 74 mm -hmm. um but those those four are more an example of like chill 72 um both seattle ones are nice um and actually the the second night in seattle is one of uh very few shows this year where they didn't play playing in the band um so that mm. it's in, unique for that not that i would like get excited that they skipped playing in the band in 72 but like uniqueness at least um the first night in portland that other one has a really what's unusual overall but it has a jam that kind of reminds me of uh like hard to handle so that's like the closest we got to a 72 version of it and the last night in portland is a longer one and has really nice vibes to it and um dark star with the second verse like the second night in Paris, which was yeah. unusual at this point. Um, you could do an extra sparkle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could do the five New England shows um, to Boston, to Waterbury and Springfield. I like that. Uh, yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I know the second night in Waterbury was released on 30 trips, but they have shown a willingness to do box sets that include ones that are already out there. Um, Frankfurt was released in part and Dusseldorf was released in full prior to the Europe box. Um, and they had done other compilations like stepping out and that. Um, right. And 
<clears throat> you could do the three Ohio shows, uh, even though um, Columbus was one of the somewhat like off nights, as I was saying. Um, still, I gave it like an 87, so it's not bad. But yeah, um, you could do the five Texas shows from the end of November. Yeah, I to, can see that. To Houston, Austin, Dallas, San Antonio. Um, so, yeah. Lots of options. I can picture uh, David Lemieux when he does his uh, waterside chat um, <laughs> next year, <laughs> seaside chat, uh, using a lot of that same language when he announces whatever it's going to be. Um, the we one should hire a hunter to sit out there and take care of the birds to keep them on track <laughs> while he's doing those. <laughs> uh, that's my wife's favorite part. Whenever I oh, yeah. she watches those because she bought me the uh, subscription for Christmas, and she always likes that. <laughs> how add he gets over oh see that eagle i think that was a i think that was a gull <laughs> that's like her favorite thing <laughs> well um zach you have been more than generous with your time thank you for joining us again to talk about 72 um we will be excited the next time we talk whether it's on a podcast or maybe in person um before too long in oracle um, I'm not sure if Dave will find his way out there, but you and I will be there. So we'll definitely link up. Well, um, for sure. But no, I'm having you guys on before July. Hell yeah. You know, we just got to think of the right topic. You tell us when maybe hey, um, yeah. you guys feel, feel free to pitch me too. If you got something you want to come talk about. We'll think about, it. I mean, I, you still owe me uh, as a, as an office hour subscriber, my request of ranking Pink Floyd albums. I do. Um, so mm. if you want uh, someone to kind of be uh you know, uh, you know, what's it called? The trampoline to bounce ideas off of for that one. I'm happy to, um, Dave, I don't, I don't know how deep you are on the Pink Floyd studio. Not, not <laughs> too deep. Um, yeah, but no, no, you, you tell us when, and we'll I can think there. of, I can think of one soft pitch right now to think of yeah. is, um, because of my website, deadyversion.com that rates all of the dead and company things, um, potentially a pre Dead and Company tour, like Ooh. Dead and Co. Um, episode talking about some peak Dead and Co. things might be interesting. We but can we'll, finally, we'll yeah, on the mic, absolve Bristow of this shame bestowed on it by other fans. <laughs> yeah, Dave's favorite Dead and Co. show has been uh, maligned. <laughs> I have a my favorite dead and co show has a bit of a sting to it as well, because it's one I was supposed to be at <laughs> the, mm. the, uh, the second night at Wrigley, the 2021, oh, the Althea show. opener. Yeah. I was yep. supposed to be there and my friends were able to go, but I couldn't, I was watching it in my basement. Ah, like, the ah, legendary about this Cincy this year. <clears throat> I was supposed yeah. to be there with Alex and just, yeah, just an awesome show. The, the legendary Wrigley one with, um, I think post drum space they did help slip, help slip Frank, yeah. and then double encore with touch of gray and broke down. Oh man, yeah. Well, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> hurts me too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, uh, Zach, what, it, you have last thoughts. I, I, I will. I'll say. Um, I can tell you when I'm thinking of doing that Pink Floyd one. Uh, Dark Side turns fifty in March. Okay. So I'm going to do an episode for that. And I figured I'll might as well rank them around the same time. There you go. Nice. Um, okay. Also, I noticed the, uh, in terms of like an overall thought about 72 to finish with the, uh, I mean, this sounds like obvious, but I think it's like, 
a shift from kind of a bluesiness when pig pen's still there to like jazziness in the fall but like i had always thought like oh yeah but like they're jazzy in 72 or in europe as well and i think that can be kind of overblown to an extent like it's you can tell that it's coming but it gets much more prominent in the fall like if you listen to that september 27th dark star like how jazzy that pre-verse is compared to like the sprinklings of it in europe yeah. it's like definitely at another level um and i don't know if that's like pig pen kind of being the last like earthbound member and then once he's not in the mix <laughs> they're like completely untethered and can drift off um but yeah that was something I, and also um kind of concurrent with that is like there's i noticed much more obvious like vibes at the beginning of the year um because i think that's tied closely to banter mm -hmm. and they're much chattier in europe like and like at the academy and stuff and even like in through the summer for the most part but then fall is where you start to see that falling away which we'll talk about it next year in 73 um mm -hmm. and to the where it like continues to taper off taper and then after the hiatus talking becomes very infrequent and then almost non-existent like into the 80s and 90s um yeah which is too bad because I think they're, I mean, we talked about the yellow dog story and the bee story. They're funny guys and it adds to like the overall experience of listening to a show and feels like more homey. Like you're just like sitting in the living room with them. Um, yeah. So that was why something that I liked about a show like Cleveland, where you have a moment where they're like going back and forth to this guy about marshmallows that like <laughs> that sort of thing became increasingly rare after this. Yeah. Yeah, Dave, do you have any uh, kind of closing thoughts on 72? I don't think that um, either of us are going to be able to put it that well, um, as, as well as Zach just did, but I'm no. open to it if you've got some. No, no, I defer to the expert. I I don't have anything to, else to add. Just thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your knowledge and wisdom about this iconic year with us. Yeah. yeah. My pleasure, guys. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me. Also, I would say the the epics seemed to get a bit more consistent attention. Like they're really trying to take it as far as they could every night with Dark Star and the other one in Europe. But then, like the smaller songs, got like more extended and like further out in the fall. Like comparing Uncle John's band from the spring to the fall, for instance, yeah. or like how Sugar Mags got like a bit longer and like. Because I always thought Europe was like peak sugar mags and like maybe for the tightness of like the verses and the vocals it is, but like those solos in the fall were like insane. Yeah. I think that for me, one thing that I think about when I think of 72 as a whole is our friend Dave, Jim and Maryland, who compared worthy shows versus shows that are just worth it. I feel like all of 72 is worthy of listening because it's so freaking good. But it's also just worth it. <laughs> like engaging with these shows is so worth it. They contain multitudes. There's different interesting stuff going on. You never know what you're going to get night in, night out. And, you know, sometimes it won't be the best show that you've ever heard, 
but then other times it will literally be the best show you've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> and so like just that alone, that makes the pursuit of listening to 72 and following what they were doing in 72, just so worthwhile. Yeah. And like, you know, catch little trends. Like I think the birth of solo peaked at the end of August into September. There was a string from like the last night in Berkeley through like Vanita taking the cake um, for birth of solos. But then, like the first couple after that, too, for whatever reason, that like we were talking about moments, that mm -hmm. song within the song just happened to peak at that little corner of the year. Yeah, man. Well, what a year it was. Not only 1972 for the dead, but 2022 for all of us getting to listen to all of this great music again um, for uh, Zach and for Dave. I'm Alex. We will bid you good night. Good night, good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good night. That's it, that's it. You got it.